Welcome once again, everybody, to the Goldie on Ice podcast on the Florida Panthers and the NHL. I'm Steve Goldstein, Panthers television voice, and we appreciate you uh, stopping by here on the podcast. On this edition, we are going to talk to Panthers president and CEO Matt Caldwell. Some very interesting words uh, from him about the way the Panthers run as a franchise, about ownership, their role in the community, uh, how the communication works between um, you know, the president and the owner and uh, general manager Dale Talon and hockey operations. So a lot of interesting stuff into the inner workings of the Florida Panthers, inner workings of a professional sports franchise and how one goes about in their career becoming the president of a professional sports team. So Matt Caldwell is our guest. Uh, as always, I have to thank our sponsors, Ken Morris and the Morris Southeast Group, ONA Management, Sides, and One-on-One Concierge. And throughout the podcast, uh, stick around, take 30 seconds or 60 seconds to listen to what those uh, those folks do because, um, you know, without them, the podcast is kind of uh, impossible to do. So we appreciate their support. Our producer, as always, the wonderful Brett Markowitz, does a great job. You follow us uh, at Goldie on Ice on Twitter, on Instagram. You always see the promos um, for the podcast, give you a flavor of what's coming up. And uh, Brett is the brains behind the operation of all of that. So let's get into it on this edition of the Goldie on Ice podcast. Panthers president and CEO Matt Caldwell. So, Matt, first off, president and CEO of the Florida Panthers, um, what are your day-to-day responsibilities, and does your job as a team president different from maybe some presidents of other teams? Yeah, so I, I, so first off, day-to-day, I, I focus most of my time on the business side. Right, So anything you would think of from season tickets, corporate sponsorships, um, all of our marketing, branding, uh, a lot of our community work, anything – like off the ice, I'm very, very involved in, you know, Dale Talon and Bob, and they run hockey operations and everything that happens in, in camp and free agency and all that, they have complete control over that. And, and I focus my, my time on the on the business side. I think one thing that may differ, this probably just differs from team to team, but I think with us, given my, my relationship with ownership and I've worked with them in the past, how they, how they operate, when it comes to the budget, um, I, I run it, you know, for the whole business and then, Really, a lot of my conversations with Dale are mapping out strategies. Where, who, what players can we go after? He gives me all the hockey advice, and I try to help him with getting the financials done for it. So I guess I, you know I'm, I'm kind of the middleman between him and I mean he talks to Vinny too, uh, but you know especially on the player personnel side. But I really help him on. Uh, getting him uh, all the budget that he needs, um, and not just for players, right? If he wants to do something different in training camp, if he wants to do something in development camp, uh, scouting. Um, there's so much that goes into it that uh, you know all those expenses add up. So I I know the whole overall picture that I'm briefing ownership, and then the hockey piece to it. I help him get what you know get get the resources that he needs. So what are those conversations like, as much as you could tell us, when yeah. Matt Caldwell goes to ownership and says, hey, we need X amount of money for Y? What are those like? Yeah, so um, uh, ownership's totally committed, right? So a lot of times they know when, when we're asking for something, it's a real need, and it's something we really believe that is going to make us better. So they trust our judgment, and uh, they're going to ask us a lot of questions, you know, and, um, you know, we're still a pretty small market team, you know, b- based on all the revenue that we bring in. So a lot of times they're funding things out of their own pocket to, to keep to keep helping us grow. So, um, th- you know, they're they're tough from the sense that our ownership is they're very smart and they're very detailed and they're very financially oriented but um but at the same time we know that we're all on the same team they, they want to help us we just have to have you know good rationale for everything we go after we we have to watch every every penny we spend because we 
um, you know, we're still we're still growing. We've made tremendous progress since they first bought the team. Um, all of our, our revenue areas are up, and we're losing a lot less money than we did when they first started. But there's a trajectory that we're on that we got to get to. So you talk about that trajectory that yeah. it's going in the right direction. How does it get to where it's basically, I guess, you know, satisfactory yeah. for, for ownership? And the magic question, do you not have any idea when it gets yeah. to that point? Yeah, I think especially Vinny, uh, he's never satisfied in a good way. Like he's always pushing us. I mean, I remember when he won the Kentucky Derby, he said, uh, you know, he calculated the odds to like pick a horse, breed it, you know, run it, win some, get for the Derby and then win it was, you know, 10x, you know, the odds of, of winning a Stanley Cup, right? So I think he said they wanted to do it in 10 years yeah. after getting into the horse racing, yeah. and and they did it about half that. They did, yeah, five or six years. So, um, and um, yeah, so um, yeah, I, you know, we're definitely um, from when we bought the team originally. I mean, the, the team, it's no secret, had really, really struggled and. Some folks would say it was, you know, almost near bankruptcy, and and we're in much better shape now. So um, there's no like specific timeline. The owners are completely committed. Um, there's no specific, uh, you know, numbers and stuff that we have to get to. But you just want, you know, we're on the right trajectory. So he's happy with the pace that we're on. And you know, if it, you know, if we're losing, you know, one million dollars or five hundred thousand dollars, it's still not enough, right? He wants us to be, you know, like Apple. A Apple's gonna be a trillion dollar company. <laughs> they just, and he's always pushing us to keep keep. Uh, becoming the best we can be. How much will winning on the ice take care of all of those types oh, yeah, of things? That's, that's huge. I mean, that's the biggest component. I mean, and sometimes you hear, oh, in South Florida, you got to win because it's a fair. It's like that everywhere. You know, you got to win in Toronto and Boston and Montreal and New York. Uh, you know, maybe they have some generations of fans that, um, you know, are you know, they just built more experiences with the franchise from from tradition. But, but ultimately, you got to win. So <clears throat> I, I've been proud that uh, the ownership's on the team almost five years now, and we, you know, we we've only had one playoff appearance, but we're still much better from a revenue standpoint and a cash flow standpoint. So that's what makes us so excited about the next five years, is we we expect to be winning, you know, and we expect to be in the playoffs every year. So that we know that that's the number one driver of our revenue. So uh, having that is, is is if anything, it's just a tailwind to all the great things we've done already. You know, so I've told owners and I've told our corporate partners and, and season ticket holders that you know, look at everything we've accomplished without you know um, you know without you know multiple playoff years and, and multiple playoff rounds. I mean, you look at a team like Tampa Bay Lightning and uh, Nashville Predators. I mean, even just the Washington Capitals who just went. They, you know, they were in the playoffs 10, 11, 12 years. Um, before they want to stand the cup, and, you know, Tampa multiple rounds. Nashville's been multiple rounds now, so that's how you really bring in the revenue, and that, that's that's the stability that we're that we're on right now. And we're about to to start. Is there a difference? And I guess it's kind of an intangible vibe kind of thing around you know this building. As as we're in your office doing this interview, let everybody know. Is is the do you feel like the bar is raised that there's no longer right now in the summer going into this season that, well, let's hope we get a few breaks and things go well. Is there a higher expectation now for this team based on 25, eight, eight and three over the, you know, best team in the NHL over the second half of last year? Definitely, definitely higher bar. Nick Bukestad just said it yesterday. If you read his article, ownership's totally committed, right? We, we've made some moves to help improve the team. We've locked up our core and he said, you know, it's on us now to really take this to the next step. So yeah, we're not trying to like limp into the playoffs. We're not trying to catch a couple of breaks. Like you said, like we, we've really built this team and 
you know, when, when Vinny first bought the team, we had that, that his second season, we had that great success. And, you know, uh, well, actually it was his third season. He owned the team that, um, you know, we made the playoffs and we were hoping to build on top of that. We've got, we got knocked off track a little bit, but we f- feel like we're, you know, as, as quickly as we got knocked off track, we think we were quickly back on. And now it's, uh, that, you know, we look at, we were looking at things over the next five years and we couldn't be more excited. You know, it's been talked about, and for me, as you know, you know, I've said it publicly, ad nauseum, you say off track after the 103-point season. It's kind of old news. Bob Bugner is here now. Yeah. His team is, you know, I think ready to win with everybody signed. But from where you sit now, could you take us back yeah. to that time when you say, you know, got off track, and obviously Gerard Gallant was let go, some changes were made, and what you think about that, and maybe what the franchise um you know, and Vinny has said this publicly, Vinny Viola, you know, what you've learned from that whole scenario. Yeah. So um, we all want to win, right? Everybody was in the room. We had a, a great season, 103 points. But at the end of the day, we lost in the first round of the playoffs. And while that might have been great for the Florida Panthers, uh, especially given the, the previous 15 years, you know, since they went, you know, to the cup, to, to Vinny, who's always trying to be the best that – you know, we said to ourselves, how are we going to take this team and become a Stanley Cup team? You know, a first-round loss is not acceptable to the Washington Capitals, you know. And, you know, they saw that this year. You know, if they didn't win the first round, they uh, they they won a, a Stanley Cup. But if they lost in the first round, that would have been a failure of a season. So we're trying to establish that kind of culture. So everything, uh, the decisions we made, and there was a lot of good ones that were made too, was all about improving and getting better. Um, as we looked at it, it didn't work out, you know, and it got to a point where we knew – uh, the, the structure that we were in wasn't going to work, um, so we had to make some moves. I think the biggest thing we learned was um, was one one voice in hockey ops, you know, and, and and Dale needed to have final say and had to be very clear. We can look at a lot of different inputs, you know, scouts and analytics and coaches and trainers or everything that people are saying, but ultimately we needed one decision maker, and then that person had to go to ownership. And we learned that we were all hands-on folks, so we were all trying to work hard and, and, and get as much information as possible. There was a lot of people talking to ownership. So now, you know, Dale talks to Vinny about personnel decisions, um, and, um, you know, I'm involved in that, and then I, I really become very involved when it comes down to the budget and what can we spend. If we go after Mike Hoffman and, and, and take on his $5.6 million of cash that it's going to cost us, what's that effect of the overall budget? And, and all those answers Vinny wants to know right away, so I, I help Dale with that, you know, and me and Dale have a phenomenal relationship. He's, um, you know, his, 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 my trust in him and his, uh, control of the locker room and the players is, is incredible. And then I help him with, you know, how do we find the resources to get there and how do we map out a, a budget, you know, budget scenario to get there. More coming up with Matt, uh, the role Panthers players take off the ice. We'll discuss the team's reaction to the Stoneman Douglas shooting and Hurricane Irma and more on how the Panthers franchise runs coming right up on the Goldie on Ice podcast on the Five Reasons Sports Network. One-on-one concierge is your only stop needed for all of your home needs. Whether you're out of town, you need your home looked after, make sure there's things like no leaks or any home maintenance at all, Oscar and one-on-one concierge handle it with professional care. House projects, moving, organizing closets, running errands, they do it all. Call Oscar today at one-on-one, 954-439-1551. That's 954-439-1551 or check out the website, oneononeconcierge.com. An important message now for an important cause, the Sides Foundation. It stands for Sydney's Incredible Defeat of Ewing's Sarcoma. 
Sydney Lister at age 15 battled the disease, and she beat it. She's doing great. Now, out of the struggle, SIDES, the foundation was formed to help fund children's cancer research and help South Florida families with kids fighting the disease. I encourage you and invite you to help the fight along with Sid's dad, Dave Lister. Call him at 954-594-5763. That's 954-594-5763. You can also check out SIDES' Facebook page as well. Now, the next SIDES event is November 19th. It's a great time. The fifth annual Italian extravaganza at Aqualina Restaurant in Weston. It's a great time for a wonderful cause. Help in the fight against cancer with SIDES, SIDES Foundation. The number again, 954-594-5763. And thank you. Is there one thing that you can look at when you talk about Vinnie Viola, um, Dale Talon, yourself, the dynamic in the office and about the Panther franchise that maybe people don't know that you think they should know? I think um, uh, that's a good question. I think, um, you know, I I think people forget uh, how much of just a real down-to-earth an even private family oriented guy, you know, he, you know, in a perfect world, he would spend all of his time with his family and be behind the scenes and not be in the news. Uh, I think they see him and they see all the companies that he owns and, you know, uh, owning a hockey team and all of his horse, you know, endeavors, you know, uh, and it's great. And that leads a lot of public attention, but he really, he's not one to want to be out uh, in front and, and be in front of the reporters and talking. And he'd rather have Dale doing that on hockey, me on the business side and you know, maybe, to, you know, me talking about the direction overall of the franchise and community stuff. Um, and I, and I don't know, I don't think people necessarily assume that. I think a lot of times people assume that, uh, the, 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 the really successful, wealthy person who owns all these things wants to be out in front and pounding their chest and nothing could be far from the truth. He's, he's definitely a very old school, you know, very, you know, comes from a military old school Italian background that would rather be in the background and see the team succeeding and, and, and him enjoying it from afar. Yeah, I think people see the Mark Cubans, the Jerry Jones and yeah. figure every owner in sports is, uh, is kind of like that. Um, where you sit in your job, what keeps Matt Caldwell up at night, if anything? Yeah, I think um, uh, f- first and foremost would be just making sure our fans are emotionally connected to us, you know, because once you lose that faith and hope, um, there's nothing you can say to them to make sure that they're fully engaged. You know, they, this is such an emotional sport, and it, it, a lot of times this is like a second family to people. And, you know, it keeps me up at night. Like, we need to keep people inspired. We need to keep people really fired up to be here. And that includes our own employees. Uh, not only includes, that really starts with our employees. Because if our, if our people at the franchise aren't super excited to be here, the fans, the season ticket holders, the community partners, the commissioners, they'll feel that. You know, so I'd, I'd love to have an army of... Uh, and, we're, and we're there and we're getting better and better of, of full-time employees and part-time employees that just absolutely love this place. So we, we really try to invest a lot in our people to make sure they're happy and do things that they enjoy coming to work every day. Because when you lose that, once you lose morale, the fan base will feel that and then they won't feel excited about coming to the arena every night and getting behind this team. That, that really dawns on me because when we first showed up, I can tell it was a real broken uh, just broken will uh, within the the fan base. They a lot of things been had to, been told to them. There was a lot of losing. There was a, a lot of problems that we've been through. So that that really, I think about that all the time. How do we keep our fans super excited about us? How do we treat them great? How do they when they walk in the arena, they're wowed. And you know, there's so much competition here for the luxury dollar. 
you have to put on a great show every night, you know, and that starts with great performance on the ice. We see it both ways. Like you have to win, but you can't just win. You have to really treat people well when they come in Their Their customer service is great. They're, they're showing around the arena. The food is great. They're parking the, from the parking tenant to the person that helps them greet them, bring them to their seat, to the, the sales rep that works on their account. You just want a, a standard of excellence that makes them really f- feel proud to be associated with us. So, and number one, and I know you do a lot of it, but how much homework do you do on getting those things, you know, where they need to be, continue to improve them? And are there any people that you talk to, both in, in and out of the sports area, where you, you kind of look, look at some best practices to try, try to get to that point? Yeah, great question. All, all of them are, as always. But um, the, uh, so what we do is every offseason, uh, I think we started it last year. We did a lot of it this year. Is we, we go visit other arenas, and you'll be shocked. And by the way, who, who, who's we? Who goes with you? Yeah, so uh, myself, our chief operating officer, Sean McCaffrey, um, our um, the general manager of our building who does all of our concerts and keeps the facility nice and clean. Everything is uh, Adam Fullerton. A lot of people mistake him for me out in the in the concourse. A lot of fans say Matt, Matt. And now people start to say Adam. I'm like, wait a minute. Um, to me, um, so they do a lot of that um, on the sales side. We have Stephen Gerhardt, who's our VP of ticket sales, and Nicole Meloff, who. I always hear great things about from my fans. She's been here for about a little over 10 years. She's a VP of all of our client experience. And then a head of our marketing, Jenny Adesso. Uh, They spend a lot, a lot of time talking to other teams, going to conferences. And then we spend money on on flying them out to other arenas. And the thing that has been so um, surprising, shocking, but also just really gratifying and inspirational, quite frankly, is how much the other teams are willing to help you. You know, and it's amazing because it's such a competitive industry, right? Like if you're in sports, you've probably played sports before. So you're probably competitive by nature. And then you get into this, pro, you know, pro sports are very competitive. And you, when you play the New Jersey Devils, you, you want to beat them on the ice. And you, you know, while that game's going on, you're wishing everything in favor of the Panthers. But after the game, you know, Hugh Weber, their team president, is someone that I, I talk to all the time. And, and, and I see a promotion that he's doing. I see something they do on social media. I call him up. How, why are you doing this? Tell me, you know, how you've uh, increased your fan base from this this certain tactic. Uh, Luke Robertai is tremendous to us from, from the LA Kings. You know, when Sean Thornton came on and joined us on the business side, and Sean's another one that gets a lot of best practices from us. Um, you know, goes around and talks to a lot of his contacts. I, I set him up with Luke, and it was very instrumental to him to see how a former player went, and now he's the team president of the of the Kings. So other teams are really willing to help. You know, they, they're going to try to beat you on the ice, but they a rising tide lifts all boats. The, the, the better all these markets are doing, uh, the better for the league. So that's something we, we really do because you can get into, like, tunnel vision down here. By the way, you want to see what the Marlins and the Heat and the Dolphins, they're all doing. We have good relationships with the other teams. But you, you want to get out of here and see what's working in L.A., see what's working in Vegas, New Jersey. Um, you know, you look at the New Yorks and Montre- uh, Montreals and Bostons, but we like to focus on the, the Tampa, Tampa Bays and Dallas and Nashvilles, the, the markets that are somewhat new, you know, 20, 30 years, um, and then are in you know, non-traditional uh, you know, hockey, cold weather uh, I should say warm weather, but non-traditional hockey markets. Yeah. So is is there one thing maybe that you could put your finger on that when you go and you do this kind of, you know, recon, if you will, with your staff, a team, maybe something that a few teams do that you look at and you say, you know, it kind of puts the light bulb on in in your mind. Is there something, something of the last couple of years that's really struck you? Yeah. Um, 
Tampa Bay has been great in youth hockey. So that like they're learning to play program and what they've done with all the rinks uh, that they're associated with their high, their high school league, they're very very involved. So John Colombo and Matt Janis, they run our uh, youth hockey efforts and community relations. So I know they learned a lot from Tampa. You know we've seen the LA Kings. Um, they did a number of outdoor rinks, and you've seen that we had one over the holidays the last few years, one at Heisinger Park in Fort Lauderdale. We had one in Palm Beach. So Sean McCaffrey worked on that and worked with their COO and tried to see how, um, you know, what, what worked, what didn't. I thought that was really cool marketing. We're looking into possibly in the fall <clears throat> putting in uh, some synthetic ice on the beach of Fort Lauderdale. We haven't announced it publicly yet, but we're, we're working on that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and the Kings, uh, the Kings did that. Um, so we're working through, uh, you know, so there's, there's really cool ideas out there. If you spend the time, you know, we went and visited Vancouver and Anaheim. They do phenomenal things on the hospitality front, you know, with all their food and beverage and how they um, get real high quality food in, in their suites and premium areas. So that's something we're looking at. So, yeah, we, we learn a ton. It's it's more about like you get all the ideas down on paper and then it's about, you know, as Vinny would say, physicalizing on them and, and, and making them come to reality. So sometimes it's hard to push these things through, but you just got to push through it. You mentioned Sean Thornton taking, you know, kind of the odd path of former player, if wants to work for the game, usually it's either the league, work in hockey operations for a team, yeah. or take the lowest rung and go into the media and get on TV or radio. Um, Sean Thornton is on the business side. Um, how does how does that become an advantage for the team? Because I'm assuming there's a pretty unique perspective and maybe a credibility with hockey people that yeah. he may have that you know some others may not. Yeah. So starting with the hockey credibility, that's first and foremost. You know, when he calls around to other teams, he just it, it, everything in life's relationships, right? It doesn't matter what industry you're in, finance, you know, uh, sports, marketing, any, you know. People do business with people they like and trust. And Sean has earned a great reputation. He was in the NHL for 20 years, all the games he had in the AHL. So most teams know him, right? So he calls, people answer. They want to spend time. They want to help him. So that's number one. Number two, he uh, he's inspiring to all of our employees because a lot of them – Rightfully so. Look at athletes in awe. You know, you have a, Alex, Sasha Barkov. Wow, you see this guy. There's a great talent that he has. So for someone like Sean, for everything he's accomplished on the ice, to then come and sit down with you know Matt Janis, who runs our youth hockey, and say, hey, why do you want? How do you run this learn to play clinic? Why is it working? What can we do to make it better? And he's really interested in what Matt has to say. That's that's inspiring, you know. When Sean walks away, Matt's like, "Wow, I just had this two-time Stanley Cup champ like asking me for advice on how to run a youth hockey clinic." So, that that's been awesome for us. And um, and then his perspective, you know, there's a lot of promotions. There's a lot of things I want to ask the, our players to do. Our players do a lot. We do a Panther Fest where they meet and sign, you know, autographs and everything for all of our fans. They come in, watch a practice, spend like a half day with them. They come to our Cats and Cocktails event for our foundation. So. Um, when I have these player asks, a lot of times I like to bounce it off Sean. Hey, what do you think about this? When you were a player, was this annoying? Did you want to see something more organized? Was there an event you wanted to do? And he's been instrumental. He he helped us come up with the idea of having the players write down all their hobbies and all their interests. And if, if Nick Bukestad enjoys fishing, let's align him with 
you know, a uh, fishing trip that we may do with the underprivileged, right? And he's going to be passionate about doing that, and then it's not really an ask. We're aligning what he wants to do. We know Mike Matheson loves to meet with the uh, youth hockey players and encourage kids to, to you know, play and grow the sport. So let's align him with any of the efforts we have there. Sean had helped spearhead that with our PR team. We continue with Matt Caldwell. What went on behind the scenes in February in the reaction to the Stoneman Douglas High School shooting? They are heartfelt thoughts, and you don't want to miss that. Coming up next on the Goldie on Ice podcast on the Five Reasons Sports Network. A message from me about Orion and his company, part of the ground floor here of the podcast. We appreciate that. Hey, he's a friend, and like any good hockey team, you need a good team. And Orion and Associates Management Group, they've got that good team. Great team, in fact, operating out of Hollywood, Florida. Prime subcontractors. So all you prime contractors out there, they provide any construction services needed. Call them today at 954 922 8660. Check them out on Instagram as well at ONA underscore management and the website ONA management group.com. Now they also handle hauling. So if you have demolition waste, any non hazardous material, they'll take care of all those trucking needs. More than 25 years of experience, ONA management has worked with some of South Florida's leading construction companies, and you can trust, I can tell you this, their work and professionalism. The number again, 954 922. 8660. That's 954-922-8660 for Orion and ONA Management. Time to tell you about Ken Morris and the Morris Southeast Group, an inaugural sponsor of the Goldie on Ice podcast. And you know, Ken and the group, well, if you own commercial real estate, looking to lease or purchase, call Ken at 954-240-4400. Ken Morris represents buyers, sellers, landlords, and tenants. And I'll tell you this, he's a class guy. He and his family, he's a straight shooter, extremely qualified and knowledgeable. And that's the type of person you want to and you need to deal with. Call 954-240-4400. Ken and the Morris Southeast Group will work with you with your best interests at heart. Hey, he's a South Florida guy. He's got a great reputation. He's been doing this for a very long time. 954-240-4400 for Ken Morris. And by the way, here on the Goldie on Ice podcast, he's a big hockey fan, Panthers season ticket, so we can all relate to him. Again, the number for Ken Morris, 954-240-4400. You mentioned community. You know, last couple of years, last year, last 12 months, it's obviously been tough from, you know, the, the hurricane in September to obviously the tragic shooting at Stoneman Douglas. Um, can, can you kind of take us through those scenarios? Because you were so active as a franchise, not to embarrass you, but you in particular after the hurricane, you're out there in the parking lot in 95 degrees, dragging boxes, loading trucks personally as a team president. Um you know, what, what goes into all of that and, and how have the Panthers and really why have the Panthers become leaders in South Florida when those, you know, tough things hit? Thank you for asking. Thank you for the kind words. So um, what I would say is you know, a lot of people talk about doing good stuff, right, and, and doing good things. And, and, we, and some of us come from military backgrounds and others just other like purpose driven folks. So we have that kind of in our DNA that we want to give back. Um, so when you say it uh, and you go out and you do some things here and there, uh, people say, oh, that's, that's great. But what we did was 
we sat down and, and everyone, the whole franchise, you know, hockey operations, business operations, and we put pen to paper on what that exactly that means. And and you, you hear about this sometimes at, at organizations and companies, but we really truly like wrote out a vision that we would be a, a community driven franchise. And once we put that down on paper and shared it with all of our employees and they all carry a card that shows what our vision is and our mission statement and what we stand for. You know, you have it, you kind of have the writing on the wall. So when these things pop up, it's not like we're just reacting to them. It's more, this is our duty. We said we were going to do this. We wrote it down. We got to hold ourselves accountable to it. It's not like I just said it to you on a podcast or just threw it out there on, on an email to someone or had a speech. It's truly written down and it's our purpose every day. So when we interview people, we, we talk to them about this, like, uh, this vision. You're not just coming here to sell a season ticket or to market or go and run a youth hockey clinic. You have to know that part of your job is going to be respond and proactively, you know, do things in the community. And we wanted to do that. We, um, I don't know if I shared this with you, but we, um, we studied the Real Madrid soccer team. And we read, a lot of us read the book, Real Madrid Way. And that they've made, the, they're owned by the community. It's kind of like the Green Bay Packers model, where they don't have like singular ownership or a few folks that own it. They have you know, almost like a country club of, of 90,000 folks that truly own you know, the, the team. And, and we don't have that scenario, but we can still do the practices that they do, which is they write it into their player contracts on community visits. They, there's an expectation that the values that they stand for and, and the things they, they do out for the city of Madrid is, is very, very important to them. So once we wrote that down, we had just done that <clears throat> a year or so ago. When the hurricane hit, um, we weren't scrambling on what to do. We weren't like sitting down and strategizing and figuring out the best way to do this. It, it was already like, no, we're responding. Like we, we've said we're going to do this. We've, we've, we've written it down. We got to go. And when I called Vinny and, and explained, you know, and he, and he saw the news, how, how tough it was going to be. He said, you know, spare no expense, open our doors, make the BB&T Center a civic center for the county and call Broward County and let them know we're going to be there for them. And that's what we did. We worked with their emergency response unit. We, we worked with Florida Power and Light. We worked with BSO, Broward Sheriff, Sunrise Police. And it, we, really, we really bonded in a time of need. And we all came together. And we do it because it's the right thing to do. We do it because um, it feels great. And, and giving people a sense of purpose, especially millennials, which is a big part of our workforce, uh, is, um, is very, very important to them. They don't want to just show up and collect a paycheck and, and do their daily tasks. They want to have a sense of purpose in their franchise. And, and I think we've created that. And we got to keep you know, uh, taking action on that. So uh, we were really proud to do it. And, and, and from a business standpoint, we know that we're not in the, the most traditional hockey market. Uh, and for us, it makes sense business-wise to physically be out there because if there was someone from the Sunrise Police that wasn't a hockey fan, but they saw us packing boxes and delivering waters, they're going to say, wow, I should really rally behind this team. You know, they're really great people who care about us. And I always hear from people that, oh, South Florida is hard to grow a sports team because nobody's from here. Well, there's a whole lot of people that live here, you know, and we're all part of this community. You know, you and I live in the same community. So if we give them something to rally behind, whether they're from New York or Boston or Montreal, they're going to see that we're a really aspirational franchise to be like. And then with MSD, um, that was something that was really, we did have to sit down and say, wow, even though we want to be there for the community, what do we do here? Because your immediate action, your immediate response is to take action. You want to run to the families and be there. But we went and spoke to them. This is where you speak to other teams, the Red Sox. 
who were tremendous to us. You know, the Boston Red Sox who dealt with Sandy Hook. We called Vegas because they had just months earlier, six months earlier or so, dealt with the Mandalay Bay shooting. And they said, you, you, you got to be there, but you got to be there in the background. You have to let the families know you're there, but you're not like down their throats. You got to give them space. You never know in the grieving process. It might be the next day. It might be a week later. It might be a year later. But when they come to you, you got to be there. And and uh, I think we've tried to do that. We've tried to honor them. Uh, we you know, we took action in our first home game afterwards. Luongo made a tremendous speech. And we continue to do more with the, with, the, with all the families. And we, we never market it. We never uh, try to uh, give – we never – the last thing we want is the an, an ounce of perception that we would try to commercialize any of these things. If, if other people want to talk about us, that's great. But we're just going to take action and, and be there for them. Tremendous answer and great great insight there. No, that was – I mean – I, I thought it was tremendous, and um, you know I'm sure everybody listening was riveted to that that, that answer as well. Can you take us through? Because you mentioned that first home game against Washington in February after the school shooting, the team when it happened was on the road, took a week to get home, still games to play. What went on into planning that night? Um, I know Roberto Luongo was kind of you know you know wanted to say something. Would he say something? And just felt that he had to. Um, but what went into planning? That, that night for that week? So much. Um, Sean Thornton took the lead. We thought he was great for it because he knew the player side. He knew what to ask the players. He knew he had been through some stuff with, with other teams uh, where you have, have to kind of tread lightly on how you reach out to the families. You know, we wanted the families to know that our doors were open to come out to a game if that gave them some relief. But we didn't want them to think like, we were trivializing what they were going through and saying, hey, come on to a Panthers game. That's going to help you. So, you know, Sean was great navigating all that. Um, myself, Dale Talon, Bob Bugner, Sean McCaffrey, you know, the team was on the road. I, I was back home. I traveled with the team here and there, but I was back home. And it, it's really hard to articulate what the community was going through. So when I was talking to Dale and Bob, you know, it was hard for them to even get a grasp. I mean, they're seeing what's going on on the news, but when you're not physically there and, and you're not going to the funerals and talking to, you know, we, we, we're we as a result of Irma, we're really close to police and emergency response. We know these people. We, we see them in the arena. You know, we had calls from folks that were, you know, on site and saw bloody bodies and saw shootings and were there. And, you know, I, I know Sean McCaffrey, is a phenomenal guy that spent time with people. And as military folks, we, we've been through war. We've been through PTSD. We, a lot of our soldiers had it. So we tried to be out there for folks because we could empathize to a certain extent. So I know McCaffrey, we were really just kind of like running around being there for people, you know. And I don't know how to define that. I, I, I couldn't put it down on paper, but we were kind of just all scatterbrained running around. And then when we started to prepare for the game, um, we, uh, we met with – it happened to be that the Boston Red Sox, the head of their – kind of like their Sean Thornton, you know, someone that runs all their community relations foundation was uh, out in Naples. So they, they drove out to see us, the tremendous people. And uh, they walked us through all the things they did. You know, if you remember the big poppy speech, um, I think that might've been after the Boston Marathon. They went through the marathon and then also Sandy Hook. It's terrible that there's so many of these tragedies, but uh, they walked us through what they did from a game presentation standpoint. We wanted to honor the families. We didn't care how much time it took. Uh, and I remember when we practiced it, you know, I think there was like three or four seconds that were like dedicated to each name. It really felt like a long time. And, and of course, that 
we owe that time to the families, but you also have things you're working with the with the league and like getting the game started on time and all. And you know the, the Red Sox walked us through it on like how important it is to really send a message that we're thinking of them. And and um, the speeches that were made, Randy Moeller was was tremendous. We tried to think about people that we knew that would be recognizable in the community and really heartfelt. It was you know all these things were thought through. So. I credit the team for coming together. Roberto's speech, I, I, it's really hard for anyone to do that. Yeah, any person in general to go on the ice and, and speak. And you know, he like he's a quiet guy who's very, very focused on his craft and we credit him for doing that. Uh, and then um, just the coordination with all the school officials to see if they wanted to come out, if we you know how much how much honoring they, they wanted to see. Sometimes people don't it's almost too much, you know, so there's a it's it's much more of an art than a science. I can tell you that. So I, I don't I don't think this is very well organized and articulated, but that's how it went down. It was we were basically having as many conversations as possible and trying to make good tactical decisions along the way. And you showed up at you were at funerals. Yes. Yep. Yep. I personally attended three. Uh, I know our senior leadership, Sean McCaffrey, Sean Thornton. Uh, Adam Fullerton, uh, Jerome Burks, uh, they, they all went out and we, we deployed people as much as possible. Tom Embry, our assistant GM of the arena. So, yeah, so we um, we attended as many as possible. You know, one one of the victims, um, his his dream, Peter Wang, was, uh, you know, just to give you one example, was to go to West Point. So we, we assisted with uh, someone from West Point coming and um, giving him a diploma in the class of uh, 2025, uh, 2022, I think. Have it right, um, and, and present that to his family, and um, yeah, it was it, you know I get choked up thinking about it. It was a very tough, tough time, and you know it's tough. You want to you want to be there, but you don't want to be down a family's throat either. They need their space. Um, so, um, but we, we just tried to, to to be there as much as possible. Well, hopefully, no more yeah. uh, moments of silence. You're right; there were too many last year. So you mentioned West Point a few times. You're a West Point graduate. Yeah. Um, can you take us through your plight to get to West Point and how it's affected not only you and your job, but j just your life in general uh, since you've left there. Yeah, so I uh, grew up in Staten Island. If you couldn't tell with my raspy accent that I still have. I always joke with you about that. Uh, I've never been able to shed, uh, no matter where I've gone in the world. And um, in third grade, so I guess I was about nine years old, my mom yeah, I was a good student, but I, I I could find trouble here and there, right? And my mom uh, said, you know, you should go to uh, West, go up to West Point for a basketball camp. Uh, did you ever do a basketball camp in like high school? Uh, or yeah, I did in Massachusetts, actually. Okay. Yeah, yeah, summer. Yeah, I mean, I was younger than high school, but so I went up, and I hardly knew what West Point was at the time. But uh, I was in the, I slept in the barracks, and at like five o'clock in the morning, I heard people chanting and cadences, and I walked outside, and I saw a bunch of these cadets running with an American flag at 5 a.m. And I can remember this like vividly when you talk about like going down memory lane and the exact words I said to myself is like, I would never do that. Like, why are these people <laughs> running at five o'clock in the morning? You know, when you wake up and you're so like tired and you're just confused and, you know, and I, I don't know if I've ever looked at that. I was nine years old. I don't know if I ever like deliberately woke up at 5 a.m., you know, and and I'm, I'm watching them and they're, they're so motivated and they're screaming and yelling and I, it was just so foreign to me. When you're young, you're like, what is going on? And then, you know, but it, it's it's one of those things you're like, I would never do this. It's, it's, it sounds so intense, but then like it, it kind of piques your interest, right? Like you're like, ah. and then you start, you know, then you, you see the military and you see Army, Navy football games. You're like, wow, this is interesting. And then my high school, the principal, 
was just a big fan of West Point and the military. My freshman year, I played three sports and did well in school. He's like, you should think about West Point. And I was like, wow. It just took a life of its own, you know, from there. And I met with my local congressman and you have to get your congressman to write a letter of recommendation for you. And they don't put that out lightly because their name is on. In fact, what he said to me was um, the last two people I sent to West Point they both dropped out like in the first like month. So like, tell me, you know, I'm not writing this. and You got to assure me you're not going to drop out because it doesn't look good on him. Um, so um, I applied to a lot of, I was really focused on good academic schools and I, 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 I was pretty good in football, but maybe nothing more than like a D3, maybe D2 uh, athlete. Army, Army was, West Point was D1, so I knew I never really can play for them. But I still applied and I did all the, um, very strict requirements to get into the school, the letter from Congress, all the physical fitness tests. And I got in and it was eye opening. My family uh, was super excited. I mean, it helps that the government you know, covers your tuition. My, my father, while Bill was proud, was happy about that. And, um, but we always joke around, they pay for your tuition, but they, they get every penny out of you. You know, you, you, they beat you up for four years and then you serve five years in the army, you deploy. So you definitely earn it. Um, so yeah. And, and what it's done for me is, it's it's brought a level of discipline and hard work and values that um, as much as my family preached them, you know, your dad can say something, your mom can say something. You, I, I'm, I'm the youngest of four, so I had two older brothers that always pound things down your throat. But then when you have this like premier leadership institution, really emphasizing the things that a lot of your family was, was teaching you, um, and you know that all the famous people have gone through there and what's done for their lives. It really cemented you to become, you know, a young man, a young woman, you know. And for me, it was a young man, and and uh, it really made me the person I am today. It's such a foundational experience. I was a 17-year-old when I look back, snot-nosed kid playing sports, thinking I was cool, and they they humble you very, very quickly. You know, your first year, they really they bring in all these like class presidents and star athletes and and everything you can imagine, and they make you feel you know, a, a plebe, they call you a plebe and they, they break you down, but then they build you up so that when you graduate, you've really have identified yourself, you know who you are and it gives you the confidence that when you get out there in the world, you can accomplish anything. Matt, great stuff. We appreciate you taking the time with us. All right. Appreciate the time, Goldie. Thanks. Panthers president and CEO, Matt Caldwell. We appreciate his time. Very uh, open and honest conversation. And we hope that you enjoyed the insight into his job, how he handles it, and into the Florida Panthers and the way a professional sports franchise runs. That'll do it for this edition of the Goldie on Ice podcast on the Five Reasons Sports Network. For our producer, Brett Markowitz, I'm Steve Goldstein. Until next time, thanks a lot, everybody, and make sure you have subscribed, tell your friends, uh, download the Goldie on Ice podcast as we will continue to uh, provide you content that you will enjoy. Thanks. Thanks.